We're going to turn to God, God's Word, and for a, in a moment or two we should be reading from Luke chapter 3, towards the end of that chapter, and verse 21. This morning I'm going to be talking for a little while about baptism, and uh, looking very much at the significance of baptism and the meaning of baptism for us. We have a baptismal service next Sunday, and one of our Iranian brothers will be going through uh, the waters of baptism and confessing his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you'll be aware that uh, sometimes on our baptisms we, we don't necessarily have the scope or the time to really sort of look into the question as to why we do this. Why does somebody actually go through the waters of baptism? Now my guess is that looking around this room, many of us have been baptised at some point in the past. For some of us it may have been a long time ago. Uh, for me it was on the uh, the 14th of November, and I never, I never quite remember whether it's 71 or 72, but I think it was 71, the 14th of November, 1971. So uh, it's a long time ago, but I can remember that occasion, the occasion itself, if I had to struggle with the date, as if it was yesterday, because it was a red-letter day. And all of us have red-letter days in our lives, don't we? Days that have significance, days that have meaning, we can look back on them. And it may be the birth of our children, it may be our wedding day, it may be the day we, were gra we graduated from university, it may be the day that we got a particular job and, and an interview, it may be just a significant holiday that we've had, but things that are significant in our lives. And I hope as you look back, for those of you who've been baptised, your baptism was a significant time that you recall because something very definite and something very specific happened on that occasion. For me, it was in a very, uh, I won't say small, uh, well, it was a small village uh, chapel, but the church was, was packed. It's one of these older church buildings where there was a small downstairs and there's a gallery around three sides, and it was packed on that uh, uh, evening because it was the end of a youth weekend and uh, it was just a time of celebration and I just remember meeting God in a very real and clear and direct manner and the affirmation that came on that occasion the affirmation of the faith that I'd made in Jesus Christ the commitment that I'd made to him that happened that evening and I guess if I look back, part of my call into ministry began that evening in the way that God spoke, although that call didn't materialise for quite a number of years later. So we're looking at, at baptism. Let's first of all read about the baptism of Jesus because when we're baptised, we're following in his footsteps. It's not something that we're doing on our own. We're following in his footsteps and we're following in the footsteps of many millions, billions of people since. Luke records the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. And it's going to come up on the, the screen. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. 
with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now we could spend time in that passage because there's a lot to draw out of that, but we'll be moving on in a moment to to another passage in, in Romans. But I just find that a very moving occasion, the baptism of, of Jesus, because there is so much in there. Do you know that your prayers can open the window of heaven? That your prayers have power. It says there that as he was praying, heaven was opened. That's the kind of impact that our prayers can have on heaven. But then as Jesus submitted to baptism, and he didn't need to be because he was the sinless one. He was a sinless one, but he submitted to it. He led the way, as he has done all the way through in everything for us. And it's interesting there, his baptism was the place where he was anointed. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so often I've seen people as they've been in the baptistry and they've been baptised, that God has touched them in a very real and very powerful way. And each and every one of us is an individual. And each and every one of us has our own story. But yes, God anoints us there by the power of his Holy Spirit. But notice also that as heaven opens, the voice of God comes. And he says, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now what son doesn't want to hear that from their father? Which one of us doesn't want to hear that from our father, whether we're a son or a daughter? We want to hear that sense of affirmation. We want to hear that sense of acclaim. We want to hear that sense of affection that comes. God is, if you like, taking ownership of Jesus. He's saying, you are my son, you are my child. whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And I believe many of us this morning need to hear that. It's not down on terms of what we have done. It's not down in terms of, you know, the great things that we have accomplished in God's name. God just simply says to us, You are my child, you are my daughter, you are my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Some of us struggle, don't we, with that concept that that God can be pleased with us because we're down on ourselves. But he is. He's pleased with every one of you. He's pleased that you're here this morning. He's pleased with who you are. And he reaches out to you and he says, I love you. And Jesus needed that at the beginning of his his ministry. That affirmation. That acclaim. That anointing. That sense of the Father's affection towards him but the story doesn't stop there for Jesus 
Luke goes on and starts to record something of the genealogy of Jesus. But then at the beginning of chapter 4, we read this. That Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Baptism is a significant event, a significant occasion. And yes, it takes us to the heights, but it can also take us to the depths, that there can be that sense of attack. Because we are putting ourselves over and against the power of this world, the powers of darkness, Satan. We are nailing our colours to the mast when we go down into the waters of baptism. And I'll tell you now, Satan doesn't like that. I was at Malton Agricultural College when I was baptised. And um, <coughs> we had this youth weekend, I went home, was baptised, and the parents took me back to Malton College. And it's quite a hostile environment. If you know anything about young farmers, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're quite a tough lot. And you know what it's like back in the common room on a Monday morning? How was your weekend? Oh, it was fine. Did you do anything much? Oh, no, not a lot. I regret it to this day. I regret it to this day. That in a sense, at that moment, I couldn't actually necessarily say to them what had happened. And Satan got on my back and took away all the joy just that awareness that, yes, we're putting ourselves in the front line, but therefore Jesus did, and we're following in his footsteps. But let's read on a little bit further, because Romans chapter 6 really opens up for us the significance of baptism and what we're doing in baptism. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's writing to the church and he's trying to sort of deal with a particular issue at the time where there were those who were in the church and you could almost say from good motives but not necessarily they're good were saying, well, if God has lavished his grace upon us to such an extent that he has why don't we keep on sinning so that his grace can be more and more poured out on us? That was their logic. But in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes this, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like the his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What tremendous words Paul is writing there, words that speak to us today. So we find that Jesus was baptised. Later on, towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus instructs or calls his disciples to baptise. Go into all the world, preach the Gospel, baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We recognise as we read through the book of Acts that baptism is practised throughout the early church. It's not an optional extra. It's part of the package on the day of Pentecost. The Ethiopian eunuch, Saul, who later became Paul, Cornelius, and we could go on and trace it all through the book of Acts. It was there very much a part of the, the early church. The original word for baptism in Greek has two meanings. There is a literal meaning, to dip, to immerse, in, to submerge. And you get the idea. The baptistry is open, we submerge ourselves in the water. We're immersed in the water. That's why it's often called baptism by immersion. That's it. But it also has a figurative meaning. It means to be identified with. And in our baptism, we are identifying with Jesus Christ. We are standing with him. In Romans 6, Paul has both these meanings clearly in mind. For he uses the believer's experience of baptism to remind them of their identification with Christ Jesus. Words that we have just read from that passage. Don't you know that all of us who share in Christ Jesus by being baptised also share in his death? When we were baptised, we died and were buried with Christ. We were baptised so that we could live a new life as Christ was raised to life by the glory of God the Father. This is who we are. When we become Christians, two things happen. Our old way of life ends and a completely new way of life begins. This is summed up in two passages written by Paul. Count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That realisation that there, when we come to Christ Jesus, the old life that we lived, our life that was centred very much upon self, has gone, and the new life has come. The life that is lived in Christ. The moment we confess Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord, our lives are linked with him. 
the two things that happened to him happened also to us. We died with him to sin and its power over us. And we rose with him to new life. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what happened, isn't it? These facts are clearly demonstrated in baptism by immersion. As Paul puts it in Romans, our identification with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Into water. It's very graphic, isn't it? It it demonstrates, it's very powerful. And I think every baptism that I've been involved in, I find it very moving. That fact that when somebody comes down into the water, as we go down into the water, we are saying in effect that just as Jesus Christ died for our sin on the cross, so we have died to sin in our lives. There has been a complete break with the past, a death. Count yourselves dead to sin, Paul writes. Count yourselves dead to it. Death is a modern taboo subject. We try to avoid it, don't we, if we possibly can. We don't want to think about it. I remember when I first came face to face with death, and it was the death of my grandfather. I was 16 at the time, and I just remember very vividly standing by the side of his grave as the coffin was lowered into the grave. There's a finality about it, isn't there? About that moment, about death. As we go down into the water, we're saying in effect that just as Jesus Christ died for our sin on the cross, so we have died to sin in our lives. We face it and we should be prepared for it. But Paul is not here speaking simply of physical death, but of spiritual death. Christ's death was a physical death. Yes, he hung on a cross. There was a physical death. But it was more importantly a spiritual death. When Christ died, he died for sin once and for all. Romans 6, 10. There was a purpose in his death. And that purpose was to die for your sin and for my sin, for our sin, to deal with our rebellion against God. Christ died for sin, not sins, but for sin in all its entirety. Listen listen to what, uh, what Paul has to say. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't need anybody to tell us that we've messed up, do we? In one way or another. Because we've all done it. Adam sinned and that sin brought death into the world. Now everyone has sinned and so everyone must die. The reward or the punishment for sin is death. Our sin 
has placed us under God's judgment. And that judgment is death. But when Christ died, he died for sin once and for all. When Christ hung upon that cross at Calvary, his sacrifice was taking upon himself the punishment for all our sin. He was taking upon himself the judgment of God for our sin. We could say that we too were nailed with him there at the cross. We know that the person we used to be were nailed to the cross with Jesus. That's what we're coming as we're coming to baptism. That's what we're saying as we're stepping down into the water. I'm identifying. I'm identifying with what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary. That he, in his own body, took the punishment that was rightly mine, the judgment that was rightly mine, and paid that punishment. And we go under the water, a burial. As I've already said, there's a finality about it, isn't there? Particularly there at the graveside. Placing the coffin in the ground makes death irreversible. But it's important, and that's why a funeral is important. It is confirmation of what has happened. The Bible teaches that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And we have that powerful illustration, don't we? Yeah, the baptistry is here, under this blue carpet here. It'll be open next week. And you come down into the waters and you go under the waters and there's that powerful illustration. And you're saying, I'm dying to the old life. I don't want that anymore. I don't want the old selfish life. I want to live for Jesus. Jesus was buried. And in his burial, he took our sin, infected lives, to the grave. Romans 6 tells us that we know that sin doesn't have power over dead people. But we don't stay there. We come out of the water into resurrection. We are resurrection people. We are people of the resurrection. Easter Day is the most momentous day in human history. There's never been a day like it and there never will be a day like it or to surpass it until that day when Jesus Christ comes again. It's the turning point of history. The day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was the day the barrier between heaven and earth, God and humanity, came tumbling down once and for all. And yes, we could boldly go into the presence of God. It was the day that death was defeated, the power of sin was broken, and Satan was crushed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Because that is the power of the cross. 
And because of that, we know that death no longer has any power over Christ. He died and was raised to life, never again to die. And so we affirm our faith that we were baptised so that we would live a new life as Christ was raised to life by the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God. We too are lifted from the water to live a new and distinctive life, the life of Jesus Christ himself. There's a sense that so often as there you're in the pool with people and as they come up out of the water, more often than not, there's just this wonderful grin on their face. And it's almost as if sometimes their faces glow because something has happened, something has changed. I'm not saying that baptism makes you a Christian because it doesn't on its own. It's our personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's our commitment to him. But baptism is the outworking of that commitment to him. There's a wonderful verse in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just dwell on that verse for a moment. Just let it sink in. I have been crucified with Christ. David, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the reality. For those of you who are fans of Wren Collective, you'll know that they've got a song based upon this verse. It's going around in my head. But no, I'm not going to sing it to you. Don't worry. But it picks up these very words. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. If only we could fully grasp that. If only we could fully take hold of that. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ Jesus who went to the cross. Christ Jesus who went to the grave. Christ Jesus who who rose from the grave. Christ Jesus who is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven lives in me, lives in you, lives in each and every one of us by the power of his Spirit. Hallelujah. Doesn't it make your heart want to sing? Now, I'm not saying this morning that baptism is an easy option. Many people struggle with it. Many people try to avoid it. You may be one this morning. You'll bring out every argument as to why you shouldn't be baptised. Or why it's not the right time. Or maybe one day. I know it's not easy standing up in front of people and getting wet. but it's something that we're called to do. If we love Jesus and we want to follow him, then we follow him through the waters of baptism. We follow him there. The symbolism and meaning of baptism is clear. 
In our baptism, we are confessing our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We're identifying ourselves with what Jesus Christ did through his death, burial and resurrection. We're dedicating ourselves to Jesus Christ, promising to live for him alone. We're obeying his call upon our lives to be baptised. Now I know that in many respects I'm speaking to the converted this morning. Many of you have been baptised, but sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the promises that we've made, the commitment that we have made. I love it in a marriage service when the bride and the groom stand here at the front and they're going through their vows. And when they come to make their vows, I get the congregation to stand. And I just give the challenge that those who are married within the congregation would perhaps like to just renew their vows at that moment. (coughs) And remember what they promised all those years ago. And refresh them. Because let's be honest, we don't maintain, do we, the passions of our first moments we grow. And sometimes, like in marriage, we grow apart and we drift apart. And we need to come and be reminded sometimes about the commitments that we have made and the promises that we have made. And that's partly why I'm going through this this morning. So that we can be reminded, those of us who have been baptised, of the promises that we have made. We've read... As we read through the story of the early church in Acts, we see how implicitly those orders from Jesus were obeyed to go into the world and to preach the gospel. Every new Christian was baptised. In Acts 10, 48, we read that Peter ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure how how easy that would go down in 21st century UK, if I started ordering people to be baptised. But there's that sense, isn't there, of urgency about it. It's at the heart of the gospel. Peter ordering them to be baptised illustrates that neither the apostles nor the new believers regarded baptism as an optional extra. You see, we like to think we're in charge. We like to think that we make the decisions. We make the choices. I chose to follow Christ. No, you didn't. God chose and called you to follow him. I chose to be baptised. No, God by his spirit calls you to be baptised in obedience to him. You see, it's one of the hardest things in our lives, isn't it, to bow the knee. We've sung about it in one of our songs, about bowing the knee to the king. But it's one of the hardest things in life to do. And you see, that's what baptism is all about. Is that I can say, I love you, Jesus. I commit my life to you, Jesus. 
Okay. Will you demonstrate it for me? You mean you know you mean everything for me, everything to me, Jesus, but okay, will you do this for me? We fall in love. We feel that we've found the partner for life. And yet still some will not marry and make that commitment. Oh, I couldn't do that. Why not? And it's the same with baptism. It's the same with baptism. Why not? In Acts 22, Paul shares his own testimony. Actually, before that, this is what we promise. Look at the promises that the young guy will make next week. And yes, it's purposely there in Farsi because they will be doing it in Farsi. These are the promises. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Yes, I believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Yes, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Do you turn from sin, renounce evil and intend to follow Christ? Yes, I turn from sin, renounce evil and intend to follow Christ. Is it your desire to be baptised as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yes, it is my desire to be baptised as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They're promises, they're statements that many of us have made in the past. And sometimes we need to be reminded in the present of what we declared in the past. And then I say, yes, having heard your repentance and confession of faith, I now baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's over very quickly. But something significant has happened. Something powerful has happened. In Acts 22... Paul shares his own testimony of how God met him on the Damascus Road and at one point Paul is confronted with a direct challenge. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptised and wash away. Wash your sins away. Calling on my name. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for God to speak? He's spoken. Are you waiting for the right time? The time is now. Are you waiting till you're ready? And if you've made a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're ready. What are you waiting for? Next week we 